This is recording number 10908 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 20, 2011. This is the first message in the series titled, The Doctor's Gospel, by Randy Bolt. This message is titled, Answered Prayer. chapter 1. So the New Testament begins with the book called Matthew, then there's Mark, and then there's Luke, and the very first chapter is where we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to begin a new series today that is a, a little atypical or atypical for me. I usually try to keep things to around five or six weeks um, because that's about, I think, um, about all I can tolerate in terms of, uh, you know, I get antsy for something else. I I uh, grew up uh, with uh, television, and everything is in about five-minute segments, so my attention span is not very long. Maybe you're like me, and so I usually don't have very long, you know, uh, sermon series. But this one may take a while, and because we're going to make our way through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, it's titled the, Go- the Doctor's Gospel because Luke, the one who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned these words, was a physician. And so it makes it stand out, and it's very interesting um, how uh, God has arranged for us in the Bible, and the canon of the Scripture, the canon is not the thing that you know, blasts projectiles, but the canon of Scripture is the, the uh, complete um, collection is what that means. The, the complete collection of the books that God intended for his word to contain. And so uh, he uh, arranged for his word, his scripture, the Bible, to have four, we call them gospels, but four records of the life and ministry of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them come at Jesus' life from a little different perspective. And so we get a much uh, deeper, richer, broader uh, view of Christ and uh, what he came to, to, de- to do and uh, his teaching and, and all. But Luke's is unique in that he is the only New Testament writer who is not a Jew. And so he and he wrote two of the major books in the New Testament, Luke and Acts, and they are part one, part two of a set. And the, I just I find it kind of refreshing. Not that there is a, not that you know I, I'm not trying to indicate that there's anything wrong or less than uh, in terms of what we would expect to receive from the other four Gospels. It's just refreshing to me to have a non-Jewish look at Jesus and to have um, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit being spilled out onto the pages of Scripture through a man whose, um, whose motivation or whose uh, angle in life has to do with science and being careful with uh, facts and paying attention to details. And certainly medicine in the, uh, in the Roman Empire in the first century um, was not anything like it is today. And there was a lot more superstition, a lot more religious, quote, quote, stuff 
as a part of medical practice, but medicine was being transformed in pretty rapid fashion into a more scientific uh, enterprise, and Luke was a part of that. And you can tell from his, the way that he approaches his, uh, his uh, record of, of the life of Christ and then the birth and, and uh, flourishing of the church in the book of Acts that he is very committed to making sure that he gets the facts right, that he uh, is um, presenting things in an orderly, methodical fashion. And uh, since I tend to be like that, it uh, really resonates with me. But I just really felt like the Lord wanted us to spend some significant time looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, a couple of years ago, we... we uh, uh, tackled the book of Acts and spent many weeks, probably six months total, just making our way in a methodical fashion through uh, Luke's second book or part two, uh, the, the Acts of the Apostles. And now we're going back to do, the, to do part one, uh, the gospel. And I guess as a Star Wars fan, that kind of works out okay because you do the prequel after the original <laughs> one. So. Um, but I, that's why I've asked you to turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to dive in t- today in a kind of an introductory way and, and uh, look at a good part of chapter 1. And um, you're going to find that uh, the, the theme is, uh, is prayer. But I want to set the stage a little bit further regarding uh, Luke. I've already told you that he was a physician and that colors the way that... Um, you know, it's this, there's this incredible, one of the things that makes the Bible, unlike any other writing anywhere, is because the Bible says that these people who were used of God to pen the words of Scripture were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That what they did in writing these words, even though they, Luke didn't get up one day and decide, I'm going to write the Bible, you know. It wasn't like that. But God had a plan, and Luke found himself being carried along in the stream of this unfolding plan. And I, so there's, the inspiration of God is in every word of the um, original manuscripts that comprise these books of the Bible, but there's also the scent and flavor of the individual writers. And so God wove the uniqueness of these, uh, of these men into, in other words, they weren't just like, um, what was uh, Jeopardy this past week that had uh, Watson, you know, the, the computer as a contest, the IBM computer as a contestant on there. And <clears throat> it wasn't just like, yes, Lord, I'm going to write now everything you say. You know, it wasn't like that. It wasn't as though they were just taking dictation. It was they were engaged in in life and telling this story passionately. And God took all of that and wove it into the inspiration, uh, wove it into the um, uh, uh, end product with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it's just an amazing, amazing book that you hold there in your hands. And Luke is no, the gospel of Luke is no exception. So I've already told you that he was a physician. That's the angle that, that, uh, from which he's coming at this task. He was a Gentile. So he is a convert to Christianity out of the Gentile world. He didn't have any history 
of relationship with Jehovah. No access to the, to the uh, uh, Hebrew scriptures. No access to the life of the temple. This is a guy who's just a total, complete pagan who has come to faith in Christ. And so there's just this unique perspective that he brings. You're also going to find that he is a very skillful, skillful writer, probably uh, in, in terms of the literacy uh, that he uh, executes in both the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, that it stands above anything else that you'll read in Scripture. He was very articulate and a great writer. One of the other things I want you to note is that this Gospel was written, Luke wrote these words, within 30 years of the resurrection, or the ascension, I should say, within 30 years of the ascension of Jesus Christ. So it's not, so this is very, when he's writing this, it's very close to the actual events that he's recording. There are eyewitnesses that he's consulting and he will say that. This is not some sort of mythology that has come down to him. Uh, not some, you know, some kind of, you know, vague remembrances that have been passed along through generations. He talked, and he will say this, he talked to the people on the scene at the time. And he was very careful about his investigative process that resulted in these words. So let's, beginning, let's begin reading in verse 1, chapter 1, the Gospel of Luke. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding, and note that the word perfect, uh, it, it, um, it means complete, or uh, I have had uh, well-researched, I have well-researched understanding, is what he's saying. It seemed good to me, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very be first, he's talking about all things pertaining to the life of Christ, uh, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, and let me just stop there for a minute, and say that both the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles are addressed to this guy named Theophilus, who we do not know uh, anything more about, really, than the fact that he was someone of some prominence, probably, and probably... Uh, Luke's patron in the writing of these, or the preparing of these volumes, Luke and Acts. Um, and so it goes on to, to uh, tell us that this guy Theophilus has some interest in or some understanding of the things that happen in the life and ministry of Jesus and then the beginnings of the church. And Luke has been perhaps... Um, commissioned by him, supported by him, to prepare uh, orderly documents that would uh, give an accurate accounting and history of these things for him. Now, it's also possible, you've heard me say this before, it's also possible that Theophilus was a writing, um, a way of writing. In other words, he just picked a name at random and, and uh, imagined this guy that he was preparing these things for so that it would give his work focus. Uh, that's less likely to me than what I prepared, you know, in my reading of things, uh, than what I just uh, presented to you. But I also, I just want you to know that it really doesn't matter, does it? But that's the way that Paul is addressing, I mean, not Paul, that Luke is addressing his book. 
So I wanted to write an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, verse 4 says, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. And so there at the end of verse 4, we've had the dedication of the book. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read a book, I'm one of these guys, I go to the, I go to the dust cover and start there. You know, when I, when I buy a book on my Kindle, it always opens on, uh, at, the, at chapter 1. But that's too late for me. I want to go back to the dust cover and work my way through. I savor every word. If I'm not careful, I can even get involved in the copyright information. Because <laughs> books to me are to be savored. And so that's just the way I am. And I, I love the fact that this gospel, uh, because I, I, I kind of have, I feel like a little bit of a kinship with this guy because of the way that he's approaching his subject matter. We get the dedication of the book. And so that's where we are. There's, there's a, you know, um, anyway, for, for what it's worth, I just like that. Now, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Before I go any further, let me just say that what we're about to read now is the opening scenes of this book. Now, you know that the opening chapter of a book, the opening scenes of a film, they're designed to set your expectations of what's to come, aren't they? They're designed to draw you in and to engage you. They're designed to set the stage. And so this is, uh, Luke is being very careful about how he begins his careful treatise of these things. This is not throwaway stuff. And, the, and what Luke is about to, uh, the part of the story of Jesus' ministry that Luke is about to share with us here is not covered in any one of the other Gospels. But he thought, Luke thought, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that this was what would, is what would draw us in to the story of Jesus or the uh, recording of the, of the life of Jesus. This is, what he, this is his opening scene. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. That means he's part of, of a, a section or a division, a, a family of priests. And that's important because of the way that they, they divided the work among the priesthood. Uh, you know, we have on our uh, team Crossroads Bulletin Board back there, we have a division of labor. Every, uh, every week there's another a different team of people fulfilling different roles in our church ministry, and that's how the priesthood was configured. So uh, he was part of the crew, the team uh, under, the, <laughs> under, the, under Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. The reason these facts are given to us is because Luke wants us to know these are people of deep spiritual pedigree. Verse 6, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of of the Lord, blameless. Would you want to be known that way? Wouldn't you want for somebody to be able to say of you, Arnie? <laughs> no, I better move on. Let's see. Um, <laughs> wouldn't you want to have those words said of you? They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Oh, my goodness. These are some special people. But, 
but. Dang those buts. <laughs> but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he, uh, Zacharias, was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, that means it's, uh, it's his turn or his, his division, they're up, and so they've, they've traveled to Jerusalem and, and he is serving in the temple, it's his time. And uh, so, it, uh, so it was while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense. Now, this, you've got to know, is a big deal. This is a big deal. So the temple was divided in a way where there was the uh, outer court, and then you moved into the holy place that was divided from the outer court. And in there, there was some... Uh, very important pieces of furniture, the table of showbread, the lampstand, and the uh, altar of incense. And then you move beyond the curtain into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And only the high priest could go in there and only once a year. I won't, I won't deal with all of that. But um, the altar of incense was in the holy place. And there were a lot of priests in those days, and so you didn't, it wasn't even expected that in your lifetime you would have the opportunity to go into the holy place, or, or into the, uh, yeah, into the holy place and, and uh, do anything in terms of either um, laying the bread out on the table of showbread or offering incense. And uh, the offering of incense was something that happened twice a day, in the morning and the evening. And people would come to the temple to pray at those times because the, uh, the incense rising in that holy place was a symbol of the prayers of the people. And so they would come to pray while this incense was rising or being offered freshly, let's put it that way. And so it was a very, very meaningful, very moving time and, uh, you know... Zacharias has hit the lottery. It actually says that lots were cast to decide who gets to do this. So this is a, a very uh, huge moment for him. He's, he's on the big stage. He gets to go into the holy place and offer incense. And this is probably uh, the only time in his lifetime he will get to do that. And many of his buddies will never get to do that. So this is a big, big deal. Verse uh, 10. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. He's probably already just a little bit nervous. Have you ever been given an assignment, you know, that is a little bit above your pay grade and you're excited about it, but, you know, it has its own nervousness about it. Kind of like every Sunday when I get up here and stand before you guys, you know, there's that, that little butterfly thing going on in your stomachs, whatever. He certainly got some of that. This is a big, big thing for him. And he's really making sure he doesn't screw it up. You know, he's trying to go through everything just right. And now there's an angel standing there. Feet from him. That would unnerve you. And it says so. It says he was unnerved by it. But the angel, verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. What prayer? 
There's been no mention of any prayer to this. I mean, uh, Zacharias, in his uh, job as priest, has offered thousands of prayers. In fact, right outside the holy place where he is right now, there's a multitude of people gathered to pray. And this angel appears before him and says, Your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall also be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're going to find that the fullness of the Holy Spirit is a theme in the, in the Gospel of Luke. And just in the first, uh, first few chapters, we find several references about people being filled with and moving in the Holy Spirit. Uh, he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this angel is telling Zacharias, you are going to have a son and he's going to be some great guy. He's going to do some really powerful things. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? I mean, and the angel, and the angel could have said, well, your wife's going to have a little lump in her belly. That's how you'll know this. But that's not his, that's not his question. His question is, how, how can I understand this? How am I to make sense of what you're saying to me? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. This can't happen. Why are you telling me this? Why have you shown here, shown up here? Why are you saying these things to me? They don't make any sense to me. And Zacharias said to the, or, and the angel, verse eighteen, and the angel nineteen, verse nineteen, and the angel uh, answered and said to him, "I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings." Zacharias, in case you hadn't noticed, I am an angel. <laughs> God has sent me. And I'm not just any old garden variety angel either. I am Gabriel, one of two archangels. There's me and Michael and that's it. God has sent me. God is, I don't know about Gabriel, but I know God is very patient with us sometimes <laughs> when, we, when we pose that same question. Have you ever posed that? Question, how am I supposed to understand this, God? How can I re even relate to this? Verse 20, But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which were fulfilled, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias. There's all these people out there, you know, beyond the, the holy place, out in the, in the main area of the temple, waiting for the... Um, uh, incense to be offered because they want to, to pray and they're waiting and waiting and nothing's happening. Uh, and the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. So when his, his uh, time on the job there... 
uh, as a priest in the temple were, was done for that particular season, he went home. Now, verse 24, now after, these, uh, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she, she hid herself five months. And you read that and you think, what is she hiding from? But I, I know that every time my wife was pregnant, she, she would say to me, don't tell a soul. There's going to be a time when I'll let people know, probably before I start showing, but don't say anything. And I, I imagine for Elizabeth, there was, you know, can this, can this really be? After all these years, after all of the prayer and the waiting and the confusion, can this really be? I need to, I need to make sure, you know. And I need to make sure that I'm going to be able to carry this baby full term. All of those things I'm sure is going through her mind. But listen to this. So Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying in verse 25. Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. I want to take you back through these verses uh, briefly. And just highlight some things. Remember, this has absolutely nothing to do with Jesus, does it? Now, if we went on to read, we'd see this interplay between the announcement to Zacharias and then Elizabeth, that, or to Zacharias, and then it flows out to Elizabeth that they're going to have a baby. And then uh, the same angel, Gabriel, announces to Mary that she's going to have a baby. Uh, John and Jesus, and there's this back and forth for a while, and then the story of Jesus begins to, to take front and center. But Luke begins his gospel with this story. The, this is the open. This is what he is using to set the stage for what is to come. It's just not. It's not just incidental historic information. He's using this to grab our attention. It's very, very. Important, And I believe that he wants us to see some things about prayer. I want you to notice that answers to prayer are not earned. And we have this weird understanding about God that somehow... It's like pulling a, it's like a slot machine, although I guess people don't do this this way anymore. But, you know, you pull the lever on the slot machine, which I have never done in my whole life. Let's just go on the record with that. But I've watched people. You pull the slot or the, the arm on the slot machine and you hope that things line up in a certain way that cash comes out the bottom, right? And a lot of times people think of God and prayer that way. If I could just get everything lined up just right, if I say just the right words, if my heart is in the right place, if the, you know, the sun is shining or whatever, then maybe I can get God to do something for me. And that concept of God is deep in all of us, more than we know. It has permeated people's understanding of God, but it is absolutely contrary to who God is. We are told in verse uh, 5 and 6 about uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth who are righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. If there's anybody in all the earth that ought to be able to have a baby, it's these people. But they don't. Answers to prayer are not earned. 
It's not about that. And we really need to get that scraped out of our concepts of God. And John, I mean, and Luke wants us to see in the story of the of the announcement of John, John's birth, these things about God. He he is not someone like you know. In fact, Jesus, when he taught us to pray, remember he said, "Don't pray like the heathen, who think they'll be heard for their many words." And our concepts about God get so distorted. It's like if we can. You know, if I can, if I can uh, log enough hours on my knees, that somehow that obligates God to do what I've asked him to do. I mean, it's just weird, isn't it? But that's not the God we have. We're going to find out that his, the, the, God's answers and response to our hearts is based on something else completely. Something else completely. I'm going to talk about that. But the second thing I want you to see about what Luke is showing us here regarding God and the way that he answers prayer is that it comes in three forms. You've heard this before. God's answers to prayer are yes, no, and sometimes wait. Now remember when the angel um, says to Zacharias there in this confrontation in the holy place, this private thing, he says, your prayer has been heard. The, the tense of the word in the Greek there, it's like, um, it, it wouldn't be appropriate to say just a singularity, but it has to do, it's more like it's happened, it was once in a, in a time, and, and it may have taken a while to accomplish, but it was a singular event. That's, that's kind of the idea of the tense of this word. So what I want you to see is that out of all the prayers that Zacharias has prayed as a priest, the angel says, your prayer, singular, has been heard. In fact, it's pretty clear that it's a prayer that they stopped praying. It's a prayer they prayed. He and Elizabeth prayed, and perhaps over a period of time, but that event, that expectation, that hopefulness about that prayer being heard was done. But Gabriel shows up to say, that prayer, you know which one I'm talking about. That one has been heard. Let me tell you that I think it's pretty clear from all of the scripture that God hears our prayers. And God was making a point with Zacharias that he hears our prayers, even the ones we've given up on, even the ones we've forgotten. But sometimes God is able, because of the, uh, the circumstances, to say yes to our prayers in the immediate moment. And all of us could raise our hands to say, I've had times when it seems like God was just, you know, he was the slot machine and I hit it just right and there it was. But there's been other times when I've offered my prayers and it seems like I'm getting no answer when actually the answer is no. Can I tell you I'm really, really grateful that the Lord said no to my prayer about wanting to marry a girl named... Well, I won't give you her name. When I was in the eighth grade. 
it would have turned out very badly. What God knew, a couple years later, I would meet this blonde-haired lady and uh, we would have bliss for the rest of our lives. And so he had to say no to that. But there are other times when the Lord says, wait, the time is not right. This is one of those occasions. And yes, it has gone on much longer than I'm sure Zacharias and Elizabeth would have liked. But it is unfolding exactly at the right time for God. Another thing I want you to see here is that answered prayer is the heart of the gospel. That's why Luke begins here. That's why he engages us in the story with this story. When the angel is talking or answering um, Zacharias's uh, question about how am I supposed to how am I supposed to deal with this information? How shall I know this? How can I understand this? Are you teasing me, uh, Gabriel? We have been down this road before and we've nothing to show for it. How can I begin to believe you about this? In response to that, the angel says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Those words are, God has sent me, Zacharias, to bring you this gospel. This good news. That turn of phrase is going to be used from the rest, from, from this point on in Luke's gospel, in Luke's gospel, to, to describe the gospel that Jesus Christ came to take away the sins of the world. And Luke introduces the gospel concept, a concept as an answer to prayer. And not, not even a prayer about Jesus. Just the prayer of a, of a childless couple. Gabriel shows up to say, this is the foundation of the gospel. God answering the deep cry of people. God responding to the longings of people that they have long since forgotten about, even put aside. Jesus is, Luke is going to show us Jesus is coming to meet that desperate longing of every person's heart. Finally, answered prayer is it, it expresses God's heart. And that takes us to verse 25. Elizabeth has conceived and she hides herself for five months. But she says these things. She says, thus the Lord has dealt with me. In other words, after this manner, this is how God deals with me. This is how God deals with me. When he looked on me to take away my reproach from among people. As far as she was concerned, this conception was about one thing only, a caring, loving God who had not forgotten her and was taking away the reproach of her childlessness. Let alone that, that this 
baby was going to be the forerunner of Christ. He was going to be the fulfiller of much prophecy. All of that is yes and amen, and it's going to unfold for us in the weeks to come as we study God's God's, uh, word here in the Gospel of Luke. But for this woman, the Gospel is all about a loving God caring about me. This is how the Lord has dealt with me. And that's the way he wants to deal with each of us. That's his heart towards us. Answers to prayer. Our gods are all about a loving God responding to our longings and our needs. And Jesus is that ultimate response. <laughs> 